Father, again, we thank you. We thank you that you provided a way that we might have eternal life through your Son. We thank you that this plan was yours and that the Lord Jesus was obedient to your will, that he came to this earth to die for us, to become our substitute. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were obedient. We thank you that you were not only actively obedient as you lived on this earth, but you submitted to the will of the Father and went to the cross for us. We also thank you that you sent your spirit to live in each one of us as we have received you. And we thank you that the spirit empowers us to live a life that is pleasing to you. We thank you that the spirit of God will convict us in areas that need conviction and you change us and transform us by your word. Really, everything that we have mentioned is all because of you. We would still be damned if it wasn't for the fact that you drew us to yourself. And so we give you all the praise and all the glory. We ask that you might give us wisdom as we look at this text. And again, that uh, we might be the people that would be able to please you because we walk with you. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has never received you as Lord and Savior, that today they might confess their sin before you, repent and believe in you so that they could have forgiveness as well. Guide our study for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Junior Church is now dismissed. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, we're going to be there in a few moments. Daniel chapter 1, starting verse 8. For a football player, it was the culmination of a fantastic year in 1998. He and his team had made it to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl being the time in the year with the greatest TV audience of all time. The player's name was Eugene Robinson. Mr. Robinson had not only had had a career in the NFL for some time, but he had also been a, a very outspoken person for the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times he had taken a stand for God and had, hurt, and had earned the respect of his teammates for being willing to do so. That particular Saturday night before the Super Bowl, a Christian group which is interesting, was the Athletes in Action, actually gave Eugene Robinson the, the Star Award after Bart Star, and presented to the athlete. Uh, this this war award would be presented to the athlete each year for, quote, the high moral standards that that particular athletes did in his particular sport of football. Uh, later that Saturday, he and his wife were spending time around the pool. I mean, it was shaping up to be a perfect weekend. But again, if you know the, the rest of the story, that 
That later that evening, Eugene Robinson was arrested by Miami police for soliciting a, pr- a prostitute. Again, that man only played for the Falcons for one more year, and to be quite honest with you, I'm not sure what happened to him. But he went from way up here as far as even getting an award. Should have been the best day of his life, one of the best days at least of his life, playing in the Super Bowl, to the thing that you remember about him. And the whole point is this, that he didn't take a stand for God in that very, very critical moment. He had proclaimed him. He had taken a stand for God many other times. By the way, I'm not trying to kick a Christian brother down, but the point is is this. He had been faithful, he had been faithful, but, he, but then he waned and he fell. The point is this. We all face critical decisions in our life. Critical moments when if we do not make the right decisions, it can destroy the rest of our life. You know, the the scripture says in Corinthians 10, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. I want you to think about that. God is faithful. Is, Is God faithful? Is God faithful during our trials? Is God faithful? Will he be faithful with Nicky and Paul? He will be faithful. God is faithful, who will not permit you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape. And I'll add this as an addendum, if you'll take it. (laughs) And I like this last part. So that you may stand up under it. That's what the New American says, or that you may be able to bear it. Corinthians is very clear that God is faithful. God is faithful to bring you through whatever trial he allows. By the way, Eugene Robinson went through a trial that night. A temptation. He did not, he was not victorious. But the Bible says that God will give us the power through his spirit to be victorious. My question is this to you as friends. (laughs) Did you have any opportunities this last week to take a stand for God? To be honest with you, we all did have opportunities. Maybe we just didn't see them. Sometimes we're not sensitized to the opportunities God gives us. And and when I say take an opportunity to stand for God, I don't mean to show off. I don't mean to be abrasive. I don't mean to, you know, grandstand or anything like that. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we're very non-tactful. But I'm saying a solid stand for the Lord Jesus Christ to show our love and devotion to him. That's what I'm getting at. That there was an opportunity, whether it was a temptation or a trial. By the way, a temptation leads you to sin and your life to be destroyed. The same word is trial in James. Temptation and trial is the same exact word. The idea with a trial, though, is that God works through your life and you are strengthened through it rather than destroyed. But did God allow you to have a trial this week, and did you stand strong for him? Did you prove, like uh, John chapter 15 says, that you would prove to be my disciples? See, he puts us in these situations that we would prove to be his disciples. We would respond differently. The joke is told, and we don't laugh because we're one of his disciples. The drink is passed to you, and you don't drink it because... You're one of his disciples. The thing flashes up on the internet and you don't make the next click because you don't want lust to 
reign in your heart because you want to prove that you are one of his disciples. You could say that word of gossip, slander, but you choose not to because you want to prove that you're one of his disciples. Philippians 2 says, To prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, catch this, children of God above reproach. That's what I'm talking about, it's taking a stand. It may happen at work, it may happen at your fa- in your own family, it may be how you treat your wife and your children or your husband, it may be at this next family reunion. I find family reunions are a great time to either get really frustrated or to honor him. <clears throat> Are you proving yourself to be one of his there? Sometimes I don't. I, get, I, I look like the world. You know, I get frustrated and irritated with someone doing or something like that, and then I'll tell somebody. And in fact, this last week, I think I... No, I did break that. I didn't always prove to be one of his disciples in the way I responded. James says this, To prove yourselves doers of the word and not hearers only. So what does he do? He, he, he allows us to take a stand for him. He puts us in a situation where you can be different from everyone else <coughs> to prove that you're one of his. So, what opportunities did you have this last week? Now again, Corinthians is still true, right? Corinthians, that you might be able to bear it, that you might stand under, up under it. That's a true statement. I mean, that's a, that's a verse that you can bank on. So the, the good news is he is always faithful, he, but he puts you in those specific uh, situations not to make you uncomfortable. That's not the only reason. It's that you would prove who you really are. You could show fruit. You could show who you are to the watching world. Sometimes it's a very, very hard trial that you go through. As we mentioned with what happened last night, that's a very hard trial. How, that, how she responds, how they respond, will prove that the Lord is in control, and I believe they will. Then the Lord is faithful. But there's so many things. It might be a, an issue at work and, and someone's telling you to, to do something either illegal or unethical. Or just the fact of being a good worker. <laughs> Our society has said, you know what, you know, you put in the minimum. You know what God would say? Honor the Lord. Do everything heartily as to Him. Right? So we're, we're in these situations all the time to take a stand for God. Not listening to the world. We're studying about a man today who took a stand for God. His name, again, is Daniel. He's a, he's a young man. As we looked at a few weeks ago, he's about 14 to 17 years old. He's a teenager. And he has an opportunity to take a stand for God, for Jehovah. He, has been faced, he is facing a very, very hard trial And he has no parental oversight. He's been ripped out of Jerusalem, brought 700 miles into Babylon. His parents aren't there. They're not watching over him. Apparently no accountability from those type of people, the people he grew up with other than his three friends. Great pressure to compromise. You ever been there? Where the world wants to make you into a Babylonian? (laughs) That your allegiance needs to be more as an American than as a Christian. By the way, watch out for that temptation right there. We are, we are of a different world, aren't we? This is not our home. America may survive, but it may not be the way it looks now. But whether, it's, whether we have freedom or not, think about the Chinese. Think about the Russians. They still survive. Why? Because they're Christians first. Christians first. 
this young man is placed into a very wicked, ungodly, immoral situation, and yet God enabled him to take a stand. Again, he's young. (laughs) I just want you to remember that. No accountability. It's like me taking one of you, let's say a 16-year-old. Someone with arm, you know, and, and not me, but someone else comes in armed. They take you and they transport you to Iran. <laughs> Actually, that's where this is. And now you have to stand for God. And we say, well, that's so... But you know what? Sometimes we get so um, comfortable. We forget, are we still in the battle here? Is the world still trying to squeeze you into its mold? Yes. See, we have, to, we have to take this passage very serious because the world is trying to do that. And it may come from very a, a comfortable situation. Well, I just don't want to offend that person. That's why I don't stand for Jesus. It might not be someone pointing a gun at you. Most likely right now it isn't, at least for today. But again, Daniel was able to stand strong. Look at uh, Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart... Now again, I want you to notice... That the king, verse 5, appointed daily provisions. But then it says, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he, request, he requested of the chief, chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He didn't want to notice twice he says, you know, defile himself, defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. I just want you to see two things. One is Daniel purpose and God, what does it say? And now God. <laughs> he, he's in the scenario. God is always with us, right? Daniel purposed something, but without God, it wasn't going to happen. I want to just give you three keys today, three key principles on how to take a stand for God, just from the life of Daniel. Again, if you have an outline, you can fill in. There's... Just a few simple things. First principle is this. If you're going to really take a stand for God, you've got to understand where the real battle is. Where the real battle is. It says again in verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart. Heart. <laughs> again, this is significant. If we're going to grow, you know, that, that's what we call sanctification. If we're going to grow as a believer in Jesus Christ, if we're going to have true spiritual growth, we need to know where the real issue is. Where, where is the battle really being fought? It's not the external, it's the internal. It's in the heart. In other words, the ideas you place in your heart are going to have a significant impact on your behavior. If your heart does not change, your behavior will not change. Do you believe that? By the way, I want to say ahead of time, the heart you will see in the Old Testament and New Testament is synonymous with the mind. At least the mind is part of that. The heart has to do with the the mind, the thinking, the will, and even has to do with the emotion. But it has all that. So, you know, when we say heart, don't make that mystical. It's, It's your thinking process. Daniel decided something. Daniel decided intellectually he was going to follow God. If we're going to have major impact on our behavior over here, we first of all have to deal with the real issue, the real battle is in the heart. Again, the world is trying to squeeze you in a different mold. The world will try to say this. Well, first of all, it's, 
If, if you are behaving wrongly, it's your environment, or they might say it's the people around you. It's, it's your, you know, it's your parents, it's your children, it's the bully at school. It's that pastor you're listening to. It's some person, some environment problem. Um, they try to push you into its mold. It's, you're just a passive recipient, a passive agent, as it were. If, if they acknowledge the heart at all, they'll say it's neutral <laughs> or maybe non-existent or positive. They won't say it's negative. In other words, they won't say that when you were born that you had a sin problem. No, no, you were innocent at that point and then you became sinful because of the people and the environment around you. See, in other words, the problems I face are because others around me have treated me, what, badly or ungodly? And so what is that doing? That's just this, blame shifting. By the way, Daniel could have been very easy to blame shift. Man, I lost my parents, I lost my, 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 uh, you know, my home, I lost, um, you know, as far as the close connections, I lost accountability. <laughs> Think of all the, the excuses he could have had, how he could have blame shifted and just said, you know what? When in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. Very easy to do that. And so we have a lot of blame shift, a lot, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but the point is, is that the world would say this. If you're having a problem with someone else's, or you're just, you know, and they label you, you're ADHD, you know, you're this, you're that. I mean, they just have all these labels after label after label after label. And somehow, then it's a disease, and really, the point is this, it's not really your problem. And yet the Bible says this, if you, those who seek to think biblically about life would say, you know what? No, it has to do with the condition of my heart. My greatest problems are never around me, they're actually in me. That's where the problem is. That's why James chapter 1 says this, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his, catch this, own desires and enticed. Yes, there is the world, and the world has influence on us. I'm not trying to say that they don't have influence. And there is Satan, and Satan can have great influence over us in the, in the sense of pushing. But when it comes right down to it, and we succumb to sin, it's because it's a heart issue. Is, is that true? I mean, are you agreeing with that? It is true. Are you agreeing? So for... Daniel, he had to decide, wait a second, if I'm going to capitulate, it's not because I have this wicked king looking at me. It's not because I've been ripped out of my uh, homeland. It's not because I no longer have parents. It's, no longer, it's not because I'm lonely. I, I'm going to have to make a decision in my heart. Am I going to serve God or not? So the point is to love God and live a holy and committed life before him means I understand I'm not a passive victim. I'm an active moral agent, quote unquote. And what I have chosen to place in my heart is going to make the difference between taking a stand for God and not. I'm active in this process. I don't know where you're at. So you might be having a real hard time at work, real hard time in the family, real hard time at school. Well, you're not in school at the moment. At college, what are the point is, if you're making a stand for God, you've decided, I'm going to do this. It's not about my environment. Too many times we feel like this. Well, if I felt better about life, and if I had a better environment and better people around me, then I would really walk with God. No, that's not true. Proverbs 23.7 is a very important verse 
For as a man thinks in his heart, in his mind, as a man thinks in his mind, so is he. And that's why later on, or before that, in Proverbs 4, 23, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence. From it flows the springs of life. Watch over your heart. Watch over your thinking process. Who is really at the center of your life? See, we can look like it was is Jesus. The football player looked. It looked like Jesus was the center of his life. And I'm not saying at, at times it wasn't. But not on that Saturday night it wasn't. We can all fall. By the way, where would we be without the grace of God in our life, right? We don't want to pile on. I'm not saying it for any of that reason. All I'm saying is, if we're going to take a stand for God, we, we have to first of all know where the real battle is. And it's not on the external, it's on the internal. It's my commitment to God. It's my commitment to Jesus Christ. What comes out of a man doesn't uh, defile. It's, it's what's in the heart, okay? It's not, that's what defiles, but it's because it's found in the heart, Matthew 15 talks about. So, understand where the real battle is. If I'm going to take a stand, I have to first of all say, you know what, <clears throat> it's not even about the stand, it's not about the king, it's not about my circumstances, it's not about my environment or the people around me. It's really about my commitment to you, Lord. That's where it begins. Number two, make up your mind ahead of time. <laughs> ahead of time. Real important. Okay, it's in the heart, it's in my mind, it's in my thinking process. It's my, that's where my commitment starts. But I have to make up my mind ahead of time. And you think about Daniel, he's being transported. It probably took, well, 700 miles. What did they travel? 20, 25 miles a day, I guess. So it took six or eight weeks, 10 weeks possibly, to get from Jerusalem to Babylon. I think, did Daniel have a whole lot of time to think? He had, he had to decide, okay, I'm a captive. By the way, he's a captive. He's a prisoner. You know, don't look at this as like he's going to the Marriott. I mean, sure, he was having the king's food, but remember, he's an ungodly king. Remember, he was the guy who was willing to destroy um, his, the wise men when they couldn't tell him the dream. I mean, he, this guy is wicked, ungodly. He's a prisoner, and he has, I'm sure, a lot of time to think. But it says he purposed in his heart. He made up his mind, the New American says, or the NIV, the, he resolved. And I think that, that he resolved that way before he ever got to Babylon. And then when the charge came to, uh, you know, give him the, the food, it just further said, no, I, I have decided. It's interesting to know that Daniel purposed. Um, he apparently is the leader. We need good leaders, don't we? We need good leaders that say, this is what God says. I'm not saying the other three wouldn't have done that, but it's interesting, Scripture points out, he did that. He purposed. So if you're going to be the kind of person who seizes the opportunities God gives you to prove your love and devotion to Him, you're going to have to decide ahead of time in your heart to do so. Decide ahead of time. In other words, if I was to ask you right now, write down your three greatest trials. Where's the times where God has given you opportunity to show yourself that you're one of His disciples, to prove that you're one of His disciples? Can you first of all do that? You should be able to do that. Oh, yeah, it's in this, with that person, it's in that situation, it's in that work situation, that family member, you know, like I keep going back to family reunion, it's going to be right there. <laughs> I love my family. We had a great time, and I won't get into it. But the point is, is you have to... He determined. 
Daniel's victory did not begin when he opened his mouth, but when he determined in his heart. He determined it in his heart. He placed it. That's literally what it means. He placed it like... And again, you say, well, we're, well, it was because of the scriptures he knew. He knew that he must not dishonor Jehovah. It's also interesting that Daniel, if, again, when uh, Alexander the Great conquered the known world, uh, he was Greek, and the entire known world then went to Koine Greek. From that came the Septuagint. Now, I'm only saying that for this reason. It went from, when it was translated into the Septuagint, the word that was used to, for, for this purpose, the word, and again, in the Greek, the Greek Old Testament, okay, literally meant this, to place in the mind, to put in the mind. That's a, a, I'm giving you that whole thing for that one reason. So even though the Hebrew says purpose, which sounds like putting in the mind, when it was translated in the Septuagint, the same thing, to put in the, or to place in the mind. We have to place it in our mind. That's what purpose means. We, we put it there. In other words, we resolve to go in this direction. Why do we not have greater victory over sin in our life? Because we don't resolve really to, you know, ah, oh Lord, if it's easy, if I feel like doing it, I'll be obedient. Think of it this way. Obedience over feeling. Obedience over feeling. Don't let your feelings dictate your direction. They'll lead you astray. Daniel did not let his feeling. He determined. That's thinking. He placed in his mind. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Except there it's in the passive. The idea is you allow the Word of God into your life through study and meditation and memorization and just thinking over and over. And then it does its work, you know. I think it was uh, Spurgeon that used to say of uh, the Word of God, he said, you don't have to defend the, uh, the Word of God. Think of the Word of God like a lion. Just let it out of its cage. What for us means this, just understand it, just learn it. You know? And by the way, think of it that way when it comes to witnessing. Well, I think, I believe, you know, you're talking to somebody, I think this, and I believe this, and I believe you need to get saved. I believe, okay, that's great that you believe that. Just open up the book and say, John 1.12, if you receive him, you'll become one of his children. You just let the lion out. You see what I'm saying? Like when you're witnessing, when you're counseling, when you're encouraging, make sure you let the lion out. It's great that you believe it, but make sure that person knows this is what God says. You could say it this way, thus saith the Lord. So he made up his mind ahead of time. You know, Job did that. In Job 31, verse 1, it says this, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I've made a covenant. That's, that's thinking ahead of time. I've made a covenant. With my eyes? What is he going to say next? Why then should I look upon a young woman? And the idea there is to lust after a young woman. I've determined ahead of time. I'm going in a different direction. Or Joshua 24, very familiar verse. But as for me and my house, Joshua speaking, we're going to serve the Lord. That was making his mind up ahead of time. I don't know what you guys are going to do, but as far as myself and, and, and the people in my household, we're going to serve the Lord. So you make up the decision. 
ahead of time. Now, let me say this. Making the decision is not the end of the process, but it's part of the process. Sometimes we make the decision, and that's why, by the way, we don't have many altar calls. Yes, and maybe I should have more. The point is, is that's not the end of the decision, though. Like, yes, I want to follow Jesus, or yes, I want to walk with Jesus, or yes, I want to give up my sin. But the point is, is that's just the beginning. That's like the first step. Okay, now you want to walk with... Well, there's many things to learn since, you know, after that. Proverbs 28, I've been meditating on this a lot this last week. It says, he who covers his sin will not prosper. Are any of you covering your sin? Because you know what? The scripture is very clear. If you cover your sin, you will not prosper. You will try to prosper. You will try to have God's peace. You will try to have God's joy. You will try... God says no. But it says this, but whoever confesses, says the same thing as God says about it, confesses to the people appropriate, and forsakes them will find mercy. What does God say? You want to prosper? You want to find mercy? Then forsake it. Now, by the, I bring that up because that's ahead of time. See, he's saying, listen, that's, that's a person who's walking in sin and saying, you know what? I don't want to go here anymore. And I'm making up my mind. I'm not only going to confess it, but I'm going to forsake it, which means I'm thinking ahead of time, hey, I'm going a different direction. That's what true repentance is. True repentance is not just confession. Repentance also says, and you will, you plan on never doing that again. Lord, I'm going in a different direction. And until we get to that forsaking, those sins can just keep hounding us year after year. No, we have to forsake, which means abandon. So we have to make up our mind ahead of time to walk with him. Let me just give you a simple illustration. Let's say we have a husband. He's coming home to his wife. He has a couple preschoolers. That's an easy age, isn't it, preschool? Now, again, he's had a hard day. And he just wants to have some peace and quiet, which the wife is more than happy to give him. You know, he just wants to enjoy a nice dinner and sit in a perfectly cleaned home and really just relax in his castle because he's had a hard day. But he walks in the door and the house is a wreck. The kids are screaming and the dinner has not even been started. Now, what is the most important part of this scenario right here? The screaming kids? No. The messy house? No. The late dinner? No. The most important thing in this equation is what this man has decided in his heart concerning his place in the home. That's what the important decision is. In fact, some of you may live with this man. That kind of man is going to walk in the house and do what? He might explode, he might pout. Like, you know, I just, I work so hard and you just can't even do this. You know, even maybe get emotional. I don't know. And the point is this. He will behave in some sinful way. If in his heart he believes this is my castle and I should come and I have the right to be loved and cherished and at peace and quiet and just, you know, be able to relax. Again, he will have missed an opportunity, now take the, get this, to take a stand for God because he did not put the right things in his mind before he ever walked through that door. He's not thinking straight. Now, you might say, well, that's what the world says. Oh, 
That's what the world says. See, on the other hand, if that man says, quote, I'll give you what his thinking is. I'm not going home from work. I'm going home to work. See, because I said at the altar that we are together and he's put two to one and now this is a family and I'm not just coming home to be served. I'm going home to serve. See, the job of my wife, my wife does in the house, is important and it's difficult. If he's thinking this, now, what she's doing is difficult. And if everything is not quite ready, I have an opportunity at that moment to show the love of Christ, to show the patience of Christ. So, Lord, whatever I find on the other side of this door, I'm going to make up my mind to serve you, show my love for you by my response. See, that person has made up his mind. He will do what is right by the power of Christ. He will exemplify Christ and he will be blessed. And the family will be blessed. See, that's what I mean as a simple illustration of making up your mind to do what you ought to do. It comes in so many different forms. So what opportunities did you have this week to take a stand for God, to show his character? I gave you a lot of different venues. We, you know, we're busy people, aren't we? So many opportunities, and many times we don't take those opportunities. We have choice after choice after choice. To be what we ought to be, to say what we ought to say or not to say. And sometimes we just don't realize. Now again, it's through the Word of God, it's through prayer that those convictions come. Okay, Lord, I see what you, need, you want me to do. And I want to be obedient to your Word. That's where we get the information of, of making a stand. I'm not talking about making a stand like an American would make a stand. I'm saying making a stand like a Christian would make a stand. We want to make that type of stand. We want to exemplify the Lord. He puts you in situations where everybody would say, well, that's not how you're supposed to respond. Hmm, different. That person is different. By the way, the first thing that you have to decide is making a stand for him. I mean, question, have you ever come to a point in your life where you realized your need of a Savior? That you are a sinner. That your sin has condemned you before a holy God. That God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to be a substitute for your sin. When he was on the cross, he did not pay for his sin. He was perfect. He paid for yours. That's why he went to the cross. Have you ever received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? I say Savior because he is the Savior. I say Lord because he is the Lord. In other words, you turn from your sin, like Proverbs even says, forsake it and say, Lord, I am condemned in my own Say, I cannot please you. It's not by works of righteousness which I can do that, that can make you, that makes me pleasing to you. I can't do anything. Have you ever taken a dirty rag and tried to clean a, a dirty window and you just kind of like smear it? Well, when a sinner tries to please God by their own works, it's like taking... Oh, so you're going to try to please me in your sinful state. <laughs> and it just smears. For by grace have you been saved, what, through? Faith. Through faith. Faith in Jesus. You're saved because of grace. You're saved because you've put your faith in Christ. And later on in that verse it says, it's a gift of God. It's free. <laughs> it's not something we earn. It's something we receive. Just like you receive any gift. It's free. 
Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of works. Not of works. So we receive Christ. See, I'm talking about choices. I'm talking about standing for Christ, but I'm not talking about just like reformation. You're, oh yeah, I need to be a better Christian, but maybe you're not even a Christian. Let's make sure you're a Christian. Have you ever received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Periodically, you even hear of a pastor who's been in the church for 15, 20 years, and all of a sudden, you know what happens? They got saved. <laughs> and you say, how in the world? And you, you know why? Because they just played the religion game. They look good externally, but not internally. But again, if you made, if you have made the commitment to Christ, is there any other situation, issue in your life that you need to make a stand for? Lord, I don't want ever, I don't want to go in that direction anymore. It may be a sin. It may be standing for truth. It may be, I need to witness. I need to witness to that person right there. I've been praying for him, and I've not taken the opportunity. Dan, Daniel took the opportunity. Again, is there a particular area of your life that God wants you to take a stand for him in? So, know where the real issue is. It's in the heart. Take a stand. Decide ahead of time. Number three, final one. Know the particulars in the stand and taking a stand. Know the particulars. And there's four. Know when to take a stand. Again, I go back to Daniel, verse 8. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not. There's the t- right, this that's the that's the when. That he would not. To say it this way, Daniel didn't take a stand on everything. See, certain things that the Babylonians tried to do to Daniel, he allowed, and certain things he did not. You've got to know when to take your stand. Or as we say, you know, know when to die on that mountain. Don't die on every mountain. Now think about his life. Just think about this. And I think this is real wisdom right here. He was taken and deported to a foreign nation, 700 miles away, never to see his family again. You know what, we, you know what the response we find? We don't, apparently no resistance. No bitterness, no anger. Now again, I'm not saying he's perfect, but in Scripture it doesn't show him... Okay, I mean, obviously did he have great grief in his heart? Yes, but he just, you know, this is God's plan for my life. Number two, they changed Daniel's name to one that would have definitely been repulsive and offensive to him. It went from Daniel, God is my judge, to the one that Nebuchadnezzar gave him was Belteshazzar, which means this, literally, Bel which was their idol, protect the king. Nebuchadnezzar named him Bel, let that idol protect me. Can you imagine how repulsive that would have been today, uh, Daniel? A follower of Jehovah? And yet, what do we find? What's his response? Just repulsed, but didn't, didn't do anything. I mean, just, why? Because he could decide that a name could not define him. <laughs> I mean, he trusted in Jehovah, so he didn't have any resistance to that. How about the third one? They made Daniel attend their school. Their school would have included not only languages, but even the study of their idols. It's kind of like being thrown in one of our secular universities. And he had a parent, no struggle. Why? Because he could pick and choose. Okay, I can learn about Bell, but I don't have to believe him. I can learn about him, but I don't have to trust him. I trust Jehovah. I think this is an important lesson. It teaches us that you can't corrupt a man from the outside. That's all I want to think. And again, a good, a good passage on that is Matthew 15, verses 18 to 20. 
See, Daniel may have looked like a pagan, but in his heart it was to God. The Babylonians could not change his heart. Why? Because his heart had already been given to Jehovah. I like how Steve Viers often talks about ditches. <laughs> Steve's a guy out in uh, Indiana, but he always says, if there's ever one truth, there's always like a ditch on either side that you can fall into. On any one biblical truth, there's always uh, extremes. Or many times, let's say it many times. Let me give you a couple ditches you can fall into when you take a stand. Some people who call themselves Christians will not stand up for anything. That's an extreme, isn't it? They're given chance after chance, and they, perhaps because of the fear of man, because of some love of their life, and I don't mean just a person, they hide their light under a a bucket, a bushel basket, hoping desperately that maybe no one will find out. In fact, if if someone came along and to try to convict them of being a Christian, there wouldn't even be enough evidence to convict them of it, you know? You just couldn't find enough evidence. I, you know, he, well, he says he's a Christian. I guess he, you know, he, I mean, he just... In fact, if, they, if that person existed here, and I'm sure there were many Jews that did this, they would have just eaten the food because, and they would have called it this, because of unique circumstances. <laughs> The other side is this. The other side falling into a different ditch is some Christians take a stand for everything. In other words, they see their entire life as black and white. They don't even see a gray issue. They have an opinion for every subject. Usually they're looked upon as being fussy, negative, critical, because they don't know what's important. See, for, they, would have, they would have been uh, bitter, angry about being in a different Nation, a different name, going to a secular pagan school. They just take a position on everything. In fact, every opinion they have, they see it as biblical truth. Let me say this. You can have an opinion, but if every opinion is said to be biblical truth and you have no basis for that, you've gone beyond the point. You see what I'm saying? See, I can have an opinion on a lot of things that I can tell you this is a house rule, this is, what I, this is my conviction, but this, I can't find a back, I can find principles that lead me to this conclusion, but you can't see it black and white in Scripture. And I think we have to be very careful to know what is truly in Scripture and what is our own opinion. So again, if you're the type of person that every issue is a drop-dead issue, be careful. Because that was not Daniel, and Daniel showed wisdom. There was a lot of things he just allowed them to do because he knew, hey, listen, you can change my name, but you can't change my heart. You can change my, you can, you can go put me in a pagan school, but you can't force me to believe it. But there was an issue where it was a clear violation of the Word of God, Second, last part of verse 8, or third part, I guess, that he would not defile himself. Okay, when it came to the meat, uh, the, the meat, the food, The wine, there he took a stand. And this is the second point. Know why you're taking a stand. Not just when. A number of times he didn't take a stand. Change a name, change a location, change a school. Didn't take a stand. Know why you're taking a stand. He took the stand because it was a violation of the word of God. He said the word defile himself. That's a very, very strong word. And again, by eating the meat, by eating the food, drinking the wine, uh, one, it wasn't kosher, it was ritually unclean according to Leviticus. 
It had probably been offered to an idol. And because of all those things, just for uh, time's sake, he just said, you know what? This is the hill to die on right here. And by the way, he was willing to die on this hill. <laughs> Sometimes we think, well, he just, well, yeah, we know the end of the story. He became second, right? No, he was willing to die on this. No, I, well, but look at how nice he was. No, he was willing to die on this hill. Because it would have been a violation of God's word. Remember, let's make sure we understand the black and whites. Is it, is it always wrong to commit fornication? Is it always wrong to commit adultery? Is it always wrong to view pornography? Boy, I just did a lot of sexual things. We're a sexual society. Is it always wrong to tell a lie? Is it always wrong to blaspheme God? I mean, even if you see it in a movie? But then there's other things, you know, dancing and taking a sip of wine or, you know, having a tattoo. Is that always wrong? Be careful. See, you've got to know the black and the white. Daniel took the stand because he knew that if he did, if he didn't do this, he would be in violation, he would be sinning against God. So again, he knew why he was doing it. That's the why. How about the, the third part? Know how to take a stand. It says that he requested of the chief of the eunuchs. It was a very simple request. But let me bring out a few things. It was tactful. Verse 12 says, please test us. He did it with respect. He did it submissively. Verse 11 says, the steward of the chief of the eunuchs. In other words, he went through the chain of command. He didn't go like this. I ain't gonna, you can't make me. I, bet, I, I believe it was this. He requested, and if he said no, on this, on this I stand but he would have done it in the right way. He did it reasonably. He said, listen, test us for 10 days. And then he did it in a way that you could evaluate. And then you see. I mean, the way he approaches is really great. We can learn a lot, and we could have a whole lesson on that, on how to approach when, you know, when that authority says something that, is, uh, that uh, you oppose because it's in the Word of God. See, Daniel had a committed heart, and because he committed himself, then it says, verse 9, now God. It's like um, the Israelites, when the priests at the Jordan, he said, step in, and at the moment they stepped in, they took the step, then the waters parted. Daniel took the step, God intervened. Why? Because he had a committed heart. The blessing flowed... Because again, as he ate the vegetables, as you know, his countenance, their countenance was better than the rest. The blessing of God. By the way, don't draw from this that we need to be vegetarians. I believe that's the miracle. I don't believe that's like, that's the miracle. Because when you just have vegetables, a lot of times you actually start to overall not have that response. Okay? And you may disagree with me. You may be a vegetarian and say, no, that's the principle right there. No, the principle is this. God intervened and he blessed Daniel and his friends. And then finally, not only the how, but the what. Know what you're standing for. Know what. And, I, and there I'm going to take a different direction. I'm saying this. Know what, catch this, you're standing for. Just two simple thoughts. One is, understand that there's a battle. As I've been saying over and over again, God calls us to be holy. God calls us not to be squeezed into the, into the world's mold because the world wants to squeeze us into its mold. So we just, you know, if we're going to take a stand, we first of all have to know there is a battle. The world wants to brainwash us. 
They want to reprogram us. And sometimes we just start looking like the world. And everybody, man, they're just happy with us. You know, oh, I love that guy. He's just great. Well, maybe it's because we've been, maybe we're looking more and more like a Babylonian. There's really not a contrast. But the second thing is this. Discern God's standards for you. If you're a teen, it might be, you know what? No more fornication. (laughs) You see, yeah, I deal with enough where I realize sometimes Christians can be very immoral. They say they're Christians at least. No, yes to abstinence. No to pornography. Yes to purity. No to lying and cheating. Yes to truthfulness. No to rebellion against my parents. Yes to honoring them. See, those are all black and whites. No to cowardice. Yes to boldness. I'm going to, I'm going to say that. I'm going to speak the truth in love because that's what God wants me to do. In other words, no to disobedience. Yes to obedience. Make up your mind right now that by God's grace, you're going to walk with him and not defile yourself. Let me close with an illustration that's actually found in this passage. Again, we're talking about Daniel. We're talking about his friends. Go right up to verse 1, though. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Let me just give you one of his sins, one of the final sins. If you go to Jeremiah 36, you don't have to, but this is basically the story. Jeremiah gets a, uh, a word from the Lord. He's told to write it down. He actually has the scribe write it down for him. He then takes it, reads it to the people. The point of, the, of what God had said is this, if you still would repent, I will forgive you and protect you. I mean, it's, a, it's a promise from God. I will be with you, but you've got to repent. You have been gone off into your own ways. It seems like the people listened, but then it was finally ended up at the king, this king. So you have the word from the Lord, from the prophet. This is what God says, if. Jeremiah, Jeremiah's scroll is taken to him. You know what this man does? He didn't like God's message. You know what he did? He cut it up and threw it in a fire. And I just think this is a, a marvelous contrast between a wicked king who says, I am not going to listen to you. to Daniel, who's a teenager, who was ripped out of his homeland, brought to a pagan king in a pagan land and a pagan culture, and he has purposed in his heart, I will follow him. His feelings didn't say that. His mind, he had determined he was going to follow him. Are you willing to follow Jesus Christ, who you have professed as your Savior no matter what? Are you willing to do that? If you say, you know what, I'm just not sure, I would say this. Ask God to change your heart because that is not how a believer thinks. Daniel purposed and therefore he was able to make a stand for Jehovah. Let's stand as we worship him. I just read the story of a 400-year-old redwood that just all of a sudden toppled over. And you might ask, well, what happened? Was it a lightning strike? Was it a thunderstorm? Was it a windstorm? No, just all of a sudden toppled over. 
Further examination showed that there was a little beetle that had gotten up underneath. It actually bored, the beetles had bored underneath the bark. You couldn't see it. And actually that redwood was pretty much hollow on the inside. Looked fine on the outside, but it's just totally destroyed on the inside. You know, as Christians, many times we may look good on the outside. But there might be the little foxes, as Solomon says, or the beetles, the sins, the things that we allow into our lives that are displeasing to the Lord, and they keep eating away, eating away. Remember, the real battles is in the heart. So the question for you is this. Are you going to be like Daniel, who stood strong for truth? Or are you going to be like the wicked king who heard the truth, who who understood? stood the truth, but who rejected the truth, cut up the scroll and threw it in the fire. I don't know what the Lord would want to do in your life. But I'll say this. As we close, we're going to have a moment of silence. Ask God, is there anything, Lord, that I need to change? A direction I need? Maybe it's a sin to, re- to reject. Maybe it's the gospel to stand for stronger. Maybe it's, well, the put off is there, but no, I need to put on. This is the direction I need to go. I don't know, whatever it is in your life. Maybe it's that person I need to go and confess my sin. No, I need to go confront them. I need to encourage them. What is God telling you to do? Two responses. Yes, I'll go. No, this doesn't apply to me. I don't even like it. You know, Scripture is true. What does Galatians say? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What? Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. Which means this, we are all gardeners. We are planting seeds. By the way, when it comes to a garden, it doesn't come up the next day. You may right now be living through a lot of consequences of bad choices back there, but start planting new seeds. It may take a while. It may really take a while before those start to sprout and you start, you can have peace today, but maybe some of those consequences take time and you have to earn trust from that person or whatever it might be. Just remember, we're all gardeners and God is not mocked. So make good choices today and determine to stand today. What if Daniel had not stood? We wouldn't even hear about him, I don't think. But he was at that critical moment and he said, yes. And I would say this, if you're saying yes, Make the decision today. And if you make it, if you say, you know what, there is something. The Lord's been speaking to my heart. Do this one final thing. Tell one person. It might be your spouse. AI guys, it might be Chris. It might be your shepherd at this church. I don't even know who my shepherd is. Find out. (laughs) You should know. But do you see what you're doing? You're saying, I am so serious. I thought you'd ask me to come forward. We could do that, and you can if you want after the service. But you know what's really important? Remember, that's just the starting point. Tell someone else, say, you know, I am dead on serious. I want to walk with him. I want to start planting new seeds. Because I'm tired of the crop I keep getting in. Let's bow for prayer. I'll give you a moment to just talk with God. Father, again, I thank you for your word. Help us to be like Daniel. Help us to stand for you, to make the tough decisions, not based on feelings, but because we want to be obedient. Lord, we've been given a lot. This is a long sermon in one sense, and yet, Lord, we need to hear it. We need to walk with you. 
And Lord, help us to be so serious that if we confess, we were willing to forsake and we're even willing to put ourselves accountable to someone else. Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us islands to ourselves, but we are a body. Lord, help us to use the one anothering to progress in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there a lure on the end of that? I hope not. Thank you.